Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show, sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts, Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, welcome to the Smart Investing Show. I am Brent Wilsey, president of Wilsey Asset Management, and we got a great show lined up for you today. We're going to be talking about the global economy because, uh, yes, the global economy appears to be dropping dramatically, but we'll talk about, well, there's some bright spots there. And then also, to Costco. I love going to Costco, but investment-wise, well, we're going to break that down a little bit for you, maybe talk about things that, investment-wise, you may not want to know. And Chase Wilsey from Wilsey Asset Management here as well. Uh, always here to take your phone calls. You want to join the show, have a question about the economy, the stock market, of course, those individual stocks, which I know a lot of people like to call in about. Phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. We're also going to be talking about the month of September if you haven't noticed, it wasn't a great month, but what? we got some good news <laughs> for you here. So we'll, we'll break that down in a little more detail. All right. Well, let's start off with the uh, global economy because it is dropping dramatically. But the U.S., well, the U.S. is the bright spot. Uh, I always tell people we do not depend on the world to buy our products. We buy the products from the world. Some bright news that might help you hold on during these difficult times is according to the Wall Street Journal, some U.S. manufacturers are bringing back production from overseas to the U.S. and a boosting investment here. And the other thing, too, is it should be noted that contracting U.S. business activity was better in September than August. The U.S. Composite Purchasing Managers Index, which includes both manufacturing and the service sector, climbed to 49.3 in September, a nice improvement from the August showing of 44.6. We are not out of the woods yet, but do not sell your quality equities that are well-priced and have a good business. And don't forget to look down the road a year or two and not a week or two. And I, I got to say, it, it's still a contraction. Mm -hmm. You know, we still like to see that number above 50, which means it's an expansion. It's a little disappointing to see, a, again, a, another contraction. But in 49.3, we're pretty close to an expansion. <laughs> Could be a rounding or two. Maybe right. it was close to an expansion right. there. But, uh, you know, uh, I, I think we could see some positive news from this as, as we uh, exit the year. And one thing the news does is they, they do focus on a lot of the negativity. And, and yes, I did. I am concerned. I feel bad for people in Florida because of the hurricane and so forth. But it was on business news a lot. It was everywhere. And it's just it really brings you down. Mm -hmm. And they don't like to bring out the bright spots like we do here. We want to give you the best because actually the mainstream media get all the bad stuff there. We'll try to look for things that can help you out, get you through uh, these bad times because there are good things and the strong dollar that is a positive for our on the inflation side because if you're buying other products across uh, across the pond well you're gonna get a lower price for them because of strong dollar so it's not all bad and that's why people say oh this is terrible it's gonna last years I it's not gonna last years and the other thing too that I'm wondering on this um, you know especially in manufacturing in particular and uh, I guess service sector too, but you know, we saw Nike report this last week and they had a huge inventory built. I think it was like 66% mm -hmm. in the United States or North America was the segment. And 
that of course is they're, they're going to look at saying, well, we don't need to <laughs> make as many goods because yeah. we have so many in our stores. We got to liquidate all these first. So that could be some of the issue with these uh, manufacturing um, purchasing index and so forth is just because I think a lot of retailers built a lot of inventory, but we've talked about this in the past. That's also a positive for inflation because Nike has their new merchandise that they'd rather mm-hmm. sell. They'll have to discount their old merchandise, which should help push prices down here in the short term. And what's coming up is uh, Christmas time. So you might get some great deals on not just Nikes, but a lot of apparel has the same situation. So there'll be some great deals out there for, I believe, for Christmas time, uh, which is good. And and uh, the thing, too, it shows that the supply chain has improved because before, oh, there's there's no sneakers. I do wonder, remember that sneaker fund they had? Yeah. Well, I wonder how that's doing. I, yeah. <laughs> and not Nike, but there's some fund out there where, oh, they had all these high-end sneakers in there. So yeah, I don't, I, I don't know how if the price of sneakers have been like the NFTs that right on down. Yeah. And I just thought something else that NFT could stand for, but I can't say that in there. Not a fun time. <laughs> okay, we can use that one. That was better than what I was thinking. <laughs> um, also, too, I talked about Costco. I I love going to Costco. I, I know my, many people love going to Costco. You get some great deals in the warehouse, but one deal that is lacking is their stock price. The stock is down about 20% from the $600 high, but with the P.E. ratio still over 30 37. Well, that is no deal. They do have some great businesses, a great business model, and there's potential membership price hike perhaps uh, next year. Even with that, 48% of Costco members in a recent survey said they're willing to pay more for their memberships. Costco depends on increasing volume, however, as the profit margin always hovers around 3.6%. If volume falls off, the stock price could tumble as well. Because as we said, their margin mm-hmm. likely is not going to expand. Their whole thing is they buy in bulk and they sell in bulk. Right. So they're able to get great deals and sell at a great price. If they're not able to have a lot of turnover on their sales, that's not going to be an easy way, or I think really a possible way for that matter, to grow sales and grow earnings. Right. And, and we talk about the reason why you would pay you know, 37 35 whatever for the PE is for that growth. Well, there's only so many people that are going to be going into Costco because uh, I've talked to people and they said, well, I got this little apartment. I can't get a big thing of toilet paper and this up taking my whole my whole living room. So their their growth of people coming will be slowing down. Yes, they will pick up people that are trying to save money, but eventually they're going to hit that ceiling and and the stock could tumble dramatically. And it's a, again, it's a great business. Uh, but it, it, they're going to have problems because you cannot keep growing. And they got a very simple business model. Yes, their memberships are going up. Yes, that goes right to the bottom line. But to be trading at 35, 37 times forward earnings is just way too expensive. And that means a stock could be cut in half. Yeah. I mean, it, levels. Yeah. It, it's just, I don't know anybody that does know about Costco. I think a lot of people are already members that want to be members. So uh, again, as you kind of said, a lot of times these companies that trade it, I mean, at 36, that, yeah. that's like a freaking software company that's yeah. growing sales and earnings at like 20, 30%. I'm sorry, Costco is not in that category. <laughs> and, and they do get the subscription revenue, as you said, which I know Wall Street likes to kind of favor because it is reoccurring. You don't have to push products. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have as much cyclicality, but gosh, that is expensive. Yes, it's, it's very expensive. And I, 
And again, love Costco, but uh, you know what would be nice to kind of look at, uh, and we don't hold Costco, so we too expensive for us, but uh, the growth of their membership. Because yeah. that, that, as you said, everybody knows Costco. No, I don't know who you would talk to. Like Costco, never heard of them. Yeah. Uh, everybody knows not just the name, but what they do. But when I was single, I didn't, you know, I go to Costco. What do, what do I need? You know, toilet paper is going to last me for a year. What do I, what do I need? You know, uh, 24 eggs that's going to last me. I think actually it's, it's like 48 or 48 60. It's even more than that. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah, that's just not going to change. So I, I think Costco, I'd be very leery if I held that stock and not that's going to drop tomorrow, but it's going to have a very hard time. I'd say over the next couple of years, probably. Yeah. So. I just, you never want to be the guy that overpays for it. And it's funny. You go to Costco, you get a discount, not getting a discount <laughs> on that stock. That's for sure. Exactly. Well, let's talk about the market because yes, uh, trying to time the market has always proven to be a dangerous game as it heavily is heavily reliant upon one's emotions. Uh, in the long term, you have a better chance of actually, we think, winning the lottery. Many people don't realize how quickly stock prices can move. And by the time stocks have risen, well, they're left asking the question of whether they should get back in or will they fall again. Looking over the, the last 40 years, the 10 best days out of more than 10,000 accounted for almost two-thirds of the stock market return. And, well, in the last 20 years, the best 10 days accounted for 75%. Yeah, just looking at the numbers here a little closer. Through the beginning of this year, the market returned close to 300%, 284% to be exact, over the last 20 years. But had you missed those 10 best days, the total return was just 76%. Now, the funny thing is, the massive up days all came in the most difficult years of 2008, 2009, and 2020. The single day returns range from 6.3% to 11.6%. Again, I'll repeat that. That was a one-day return mm -hmm. that you could have seen a double-digit gain. I, I mean, that if you missed that, that just crushes you. Nobody knows what is going to happen in the short term as there are too many variables to try and predict. That is why owning great businesses at great prices has proven to be a successful long-term approach to investing. And, and, and the reason that I say this here is on that single day, let's just say the market goes up 10%. Oh, that's not going to happen. It's happened before. Happened it before. could very well happen again. What do you do then? You're on the sideline. Oh, this market is going down. Oh, went up 10%? Oh, no, it's going to come back down. And then all of a sudden it keeps going up. Do you get back in? Do you, <laughs> do you wait for the crash? What if the crash never comes? What if five years from now you're still in cash? Now you're totally screwed. You've screwed yourself. And if you sold out at a loss earlier this year to wait for things to go even lower, well, now you locked in that loss. And now you're sitting on cash still. We still have inflation. <laughs> you're totally screwed. <laughs> and it was hard, Chase, is that the theory makes sense. Well, if I sell before it drops, I can buy back in when things are lower. Yeah, yeah perfect. You're right. <laughs> but you don't know when that's going to happen. And the thing is, and you made a great point, too, that the single day returns from 6.3% to 11.6%. Again, that's for one day. Those are during very difficult times when your emotions are probably like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. I got to be out. Oh, oh, what happened? And then your emotions take over even more because then, well, it went up, so it's got to come back down. And it doesn't come back down. And then it goes up again. Oh, and we do this at, at our workshop, which we have one coming up uh, in November, the 19th thoughts of trading. And it has proven right every single time. You'll be right a little bit of the time. Yeah, but you're not going to be right all the time. And that's the problem. And that's why the average investor over the last 20 years has averaged only 2.9% over 
well below the returns that we talked about here. 20 years, it was like 284%. It's just terrible. Yeah, and, and as you said, I mean, the, the concept, you're 100% right. If you sell out before things go down and you buy back in before they go up, yeah, your probably average return is going to be 200% a year. I mean, it's going to be great. <laughs> if you could time that, because you're not just timing it. I mean, we know that the market drops about 14% on average per year over the last, going back to 1980. If you could manage that, I mean, if you could time the market, that is the best way to get the best returns. But you can't do it. And especially what I tell people is you're investing for 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Some people are still investing for 70 years here. Maybe you do it once. Maybe. Right. But you're not going to do it for 70 years. Right. There's no possible way. And, and I've been managing money for 43 years. I've had people try it, and they were so happy because they got out. Oh, I'm so happy I got out. But not one of those people has ever come back in at the right time. They, mm -hmm. just, they just don't do it. And, and that's a, so that's a 0% chance <laughs> that you can do well doing it. And I still hear it from people, and they still think that they can do it. And it's just, it's a, again, in theory, sounds good. In reality, practice just doesn't work. And I think we've talked about this on the show before, but the, the reason it doesn't work is because the emotion that's telling you to sell is going to be the same emotion that's keeping you out from getting back in to buy. Right. And when the stock market bottoms, you're not going to feel good because things are still going to be bad. And we could be in a recession next year. I think we're still on one currently, but right. you could still see recession-type signals next year, and we could be in a difficult time, and the market could rally. But that's because now the market is anticipating recession, and now we're going through the recession, and we're anticipating that we're coming out of the recession. Now that market starts to go up. Things will not be pretty. Right. And that's why the emotional side of timing the market never works. is because your emotion is never going to say, this is a great time. Here's a good example of that. Uh, went through, I'll say, 2008, the Great uh, Recession and so forth. The markets turned in March, uh, I think it was March 11th of 2009. Things still look very bad. Oh, yeah. But that year, if you were on the sidelines, I, I, I believe the market was up, I want to say, 30 to 40% that year. So if you were still feeling bad about, like, oh, you know, this is terrible and housing crashing, because it's still going on. But the market turned and around. Employment rate was through the yeah, roof. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a terrible time. But the market went up, and the same thing will happen. There'll be some catalyst that will turn things around before your emotions have turned around, and you're left with a train just flying by you, and you can't jump on that train because it's going too fast, and you missed it. And that's why again, average investor two point nine percent. Yeah, and, and we already know the market's down twenty more than twenty percent. It's in a bear market, right. and I, I don't know. People think, oh, it's going to down forty percent. Let's say it goes down thirty eight percent. <laughs> and then it rallies for, oh, oh you missed your chain. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it, it just, it, it's a, a ludicrous idea. And I, I will say, we, we've talked to people, I'm still not as excited about the market. I, I think now the S&P 500 over the next 10 years from this point is going to do okay. Right. I, I, I think now the valuations are more justified. I thought at the beginning of the year, the S&P 500, the NASDAQ was way overpriced. I'm still curious about the NASDAQ. I think there's a lot of froth still yeah. in that well. index. But the S&P 500, since it's a market cap-weighted index, I think you're going to have some reversal in what carries the S&P 500. But Apple still makes up about 7%. I, I, I think there's still too much concentration at the top, where I think over the next 10 years, there's a lot more better opportunities out there than investing in the S&P 500, again, the value companies. But 
I think now the S&P, it's it's not like we're going to stay down here for years. Right, right. And, 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 you know, back when index investing was hot, and we, oh, just do the index and so forth. I said, yeah, it's been hot over the last uh, 40 years, three or four times. It, it comes and goes. And, and now it's going to be going on the outside where, where it's going to be very easy. Well, I shouldn't say easy. It's, it's going to be very possible to beat the index by buying good quality businesses at good prices because there's just too much froth in the index. And it's still what five companies still make up what's at 22% of the, uh, of the index. And, and those companies are very pricey, which uh, one or two things will happen. Either they will drop dramatically or they're going to stay at that same level, bouncing back and forth. We'll say a 20, 25% range for the next five, six, seven years. So that's why you got to really look at what you're investing into. But again, you can't let the emotions control you. Let's talk about uh, September because as we anticipate, September has been a difficult month, but we still remain extremely optimistic about our businesses uh, with many now trading at six to eight time forward earnings. Remember the long-term historical average is about 16.6. Much of the self has been driven by fears over the Fed hiking interest rates. And I want to take you back to 2018 when uh, Fed fears led to a stock market sell-off in the month of December of a close to 16% in that month alone. And I remember Christmas Eve, remember, it's like, well, this is a great way to start Christmas. Yeah, it was down 16%. Like, what is going on? It was a terrible Christmas. Yeah. Down yeah. 16%. Yeah, and, and again, that's from December 1st until I think it bottomed around December 26th. Yep, December 26th, down 16% in mm-hmm. that time frame. That, that's a very, you very guys fast got, fall. You guys got no toys that time. Yeah. <laughs> and, and the reason was the Fed was raising rates And it was feared they were going to increase rates two more times in 2019. This ended up being an overreaction, and the Fed ultimately ended up cutting rates in 2019. This led to a rapid increase in stock prices, with the market climbing more than 19% from its low on December 26, 2018, through just February 22nd. So less than two months. The full year 2019, just remember, the market climbed 29%. Right. So things, as we've been talking about, can turn very, very quickly. And does that sound just a, a little bit familiar? Oh, my gosh, the Fed's increasing rates. <laughs> <laughs> and I want people to remember, and, and, and by the way, we're going to open the phone lines. Uh, you want to call for that uh, unbiased, no strings attached, fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about. Give us a call here, 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833 zero nine seven three uh but chase we want to remember who the federal reserve chairman is chairman powell chairman powell but what he has done remember i think now about a year and a half ago oh inflation's transitory he changed quickly and then he went from one side way to the other side now i think he's going to realize like oops (laughs) went too fast went too fast did too much he could change. How many? I think there's what two more meetings before the end yeah. of the year, and they're anticipating. I think it's like one and a quarter. Yeah, in those last two meetings. Right. And what if? And that's the second. Maybe the next meeting he still does something. But the data is changing quickly, and he could again. He's oh, I'm, I'm tough on inflation. Tough on inflation. Oh shoot, I went too far. He has been. He has proven that he will change his mind very quickly. And if he does that. Watch out. I think the markets will rally dramatically after he changes course. And the thing is, again, one and a quarter by the end of the year, two meetings. Right. That means that's another three-quarter of a point, likely the next yeah. meeting, and half a point. Yeah. I, 
I mean, that is for us to not do a three quarter point hike in years. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we're done. What is that? Three or would that be four? Right. I don't remember how many we've done know. now for so far this year, but that is a huge, huge step in trying to really ease that inflation. <laughs> right. And you know what's great about investing is that I would love to say I'm right all the time. I'm not. But what I look at is that, okay, what if I'm wrong? What if we're wrong and that he still does not realize that he shouldn't be raising rates so much? Okay, so now you flow into 2023. 2023 could be a boom year because, again, rates stopped increasing. And you talked about, too, that in the last time, not only did it increase, they decreased. Mm -hmm. Because if things reverse very quickly, he will reduce rates. So that's what's great about investing. If you buy the right businesses at the right price, uh, and it, it is funny because when everything's going fine and so forth, you know, people come over, I've been with you for three, four months, you've only invested 40%. Yeah, can't find anything to buy. We t- tell people when they come in for an appointment now, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna buy probably about 90% of your portfolio we're invested as soon as the money comes over because there's great buys out there, but it's not the high flyers, it's not the names that you know uh, and you, you recognize the names if you're with us. You recognize, yeah, the, the names you know, but not the, the popular names, I'll put it that way. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's just, it, it's always going against the emotional grain, I'll call it. You know, you, you want to buy when nobody else wants to buy, and you want to sell when nobody else wants to sell. Yeah, and and and, and I've been doing it for over 40 years. Uh, this is my 17th correction I'm going through. It's never easy. It's not like, oh, yeah, this is great. I'm all happy. Well, I'm not happy but I accept it. It's kind of like when you take medicine. You, you don't like the way it feels, but you know it's gonna make you feel better. Yeah. Same thing with investing. You don't like the way it feels, and it's very hard to buy when things are down because you're going against the wind. Everybody else is like, oh, get out, get out. No, if you look at the fundamentals of the business, like, wow, this is a great time to be buying. And that's how I've been successful, is buying when things are down. Here's the other thing that people say too. They also say too, well, yeah, but I'm down now and I don't have anything to buy. That's okay. Just be patient. You will come through it. And don't look at your six-month return or 12-month return. Look at your five-year return, your 10-year return. You will do very well uh, during that time frame by not panicking, selling out, as we talked about trying to time the market. And, and that's one thing, too, that you know I was talking about on Fox 5 this past week was you got to understand the businesses. And it's, it's so cliche because everybody's like, oh, understand what you own. And you got to take that a step further. You, you can't just know the name of this stock, what the stock does. You know, uh, people are like, oh, I love Peloton. I have a Peloton. So I'm going to buy Peloton stock. Mm-hmm. Well, do you know the fundamentals of Peloton? Do you know their profit margins? Do you know what their sales are? Do you know their debt levels? No, but I know the, the, the bike. Don't buy the freaking stock. That is a terrible <laughs> idea. Just because you know the product, it could be a terribly run business. And when you hear that that advice, understand what you own, it means understand the business. Right. Under, you get, that's step one. Understand what the business does, but then you got to understand the fundamentals of it, and that's what's going to get you through the tough times. And I bring up Peloton. As I, I've talked about this. It had a high of over $160 a share. What's it, $160? Yeah. <laughs> it, it, now it's around $10 a share. Not going to 160 anytime soon. I don't think it'll be back at $160, maybe for 15, 20 years. I would say that. my lifetime. I think even your lifetime. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's it, it's just 
Ludacris and Zoom's another one, $500. I know Zoom. We use Zoom to do presentations yeah. for people that, you know, can't make it to the office and so forth. $500 a share, now at 100 Yeah, it's, it's not going back to 500 right. anytime soon. You don't want to buy those companies, and that's that term, catch a falling knife. Right. You don't want to do that with companies that still trade at, let's say, maybe they get cut in half and they still trade at 40 mm -hmm. times earnings. Don't buy that stock. And, and, and I want to reiterate what you said, too, because, you know, Peter Lynch, great investor and so forth. He said, buy what you know. And then people will take that like, oh, well, I know Costco. I know Home Depot. I'm going to buy them. But that didn't mean that's where you stop. You brought the great points like research. Let's yeah. say buy what you know, but research it before you buy it. And if you don't understand how to research it, then find someone that does not research it. Because just buying something because you, oh, well, I know that, that that's a, uh, a, a terrible game to play. And there's been many companies that went bankrupt that you knew them and Toys R Us. Yeah. Yeah. Gone. Oh, I went to Toys R Us as a kid. I'd love to buy like their the, stock. Was it Jimmy, Jeffrey, the big giraffe? Uh, I think it was Jeffrey, yeah. <laughs> Jeffrey, yeah. <laughs> it's like, and you felt so good there, but you didn't research the company and say, wait a minute, they got a lot of debt. They're, 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 the profit margins are terrible. So don't just buy what you know. Buy what you know after you re research it. That's what you want to do. All right, phone number's here, 833-288-0973. That's 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go up to Temecula and speak with John. John, you're on the Smart Investing Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Yes. Good morning, uh, Brent Chase. Appreciate the call. Thanks for being yeah, there. I'm looking to round out. Yeah, I'm looking to round out my uh, REIT portfolio. I'm looking at DLR, which is a digital realty trust and uh, kind of houses all the data warehouses for all the. Hmm companies uh pretty much worldwide that's interesting uh do you hold that or you said you're, you're researching that you haven't bought it yet is that correct no i'm yeah i'm i'm about five per, uh five minutes away from from making that uh buy so well, that's at, why i'm calling it five minutes yeah yeah <laughs> five minutes i was gonna say you're probably about 48 hours or something. <laughs> <laughs> well <laughs> yeah, in, in my mind i should say yeah in my mind there we yeah, go so. well Let's take a look at Digital Realty Trust, uh, DLR is the, the symbol there. Uh, they own the REIT uh, specialty uh, index here. They only have 3% float, which is very good. 97.9% institutional ownership. Uh, PE ratio, 21.7 versus 27.9. Price of sales, 6.3 versus 6. Price to book value, uh, 4.5. The industry, not materials. That's a positive there. And then price of cash flow, 17.3 versus 16.8. So not a great deal on the on the uh, valuations there, but not a bad deal. Uh, we do see on the earnings per share over one year up 94.1% versus 21.4. I would be suspect of that when I check how they got 94% growth on their earnings. We do see sales are up 3% uh, below the industry at 9.4. And bad news here, the five-year earnings per share growth estimate for the analysts, they're looking for a decline of 44.2%. That's just terrible. The industry up 9.2. So why is a uh, digitally really trust looking for earnings decline by you know 44% over the next five years? Uh, you got to understand that before you get the company. We do say they pay a nice dividend of 4.9%. That's above the industry at 3.4. They do use 104% of the earnings to pay that out. On the balance sheet, we see a current ratio of 0.3. Wow, that's very low. Uh, the industry is at 1.2. That shows not a lot of liquidity in the company. That could be dangerous. Their debt's not too bad, 0.9 versus 3.9, but that current ratio of 0.3, um, I, I'm, I'm a little bit worried on, the, on them paying their bills. They do have a good uh, profit margin, 29.7 
versus 21.1 return. Equity also low, 7.6 versus 22.2. Chase, what do you got? Yeah, there's some thoughts on the company here. It looks like they own and operate nearly 300 data centers worldwide, has more than 35 million rentable square feet across five continents. Uh, one thing I'm thinking is 300, it sounds like a lot. Um, I, I, I would just want to see a little bit more of like, are there any particular customers that they really work with in oh, particular? Are there any heavy concentration in those data centers? Because what if one of the data centers all of a sudden gets like hacked or it, it you know blows up or something happens mm-hmm. there? That would be detrimental to a business like this. So I just want to understand a little bit more of the, the nitty gritty details on those data centers because I, I know that people are moving to the cloud and you know we need data. So it, it's right. it's not like this is something that's going to be gone tomorrow. So I, I think it's definitely an interesting business that's. Uh, going to be valuable to us for for many many years to come here. So I, I think it's it's quite interesting, and you don't have to worry necessarily about oh, do they have the best tech to to kind of keep up with yeah. the competitors? No, they're just housing it. <laughs> they I have like, the real estate yeah. behind. I, I like, the like concept. That. Yeah. But uh, current price here for Digital Realty Trust is ninety nine dollars and eighteen cents. I see fifty two week high is one hundred seventy eight dollars and twenty two cents. And 52-week low is $96.08. Year-to-date return down about 42%. So definitely getting this thing at a much lower price than where it was. And I think a lot of real estate investment trusts have been just hammered with rising interest rates. And I think it's sell first, ask question later. Yeah. And I think it's presented some great opportunities in this market, especially with a lot of dividends for these real estate investment trusts. Now, going forward for the business, uh, again, Digital Realty Trust, ticker symbol DLR, Go out to December 2023, I see the FFO estimate, again, funds from operations. We utilize that for the REIT. $7.27 would give us a target sell price of $120.68. So about 21%, I'll call it, away from the current price. We normally like to have a 30% margin of safety. So I might, I know you said you're about five minutes away from it. I might just try yeah. and be a little greedy <laughs> with it and, and, and try and get a little bit lower price. Just because, again, we, we stick to that discipline of that 30% margin of safety. Mm. But other than that, I, 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 I like the concept. I think the earnings per share thing, as Brent said, something to look into. But my estimate is because their earnings went up so much as maybe it was the sale of something. And now they're not going to have that sale going forward. And that's going to be a hit to earnings, but not necessarily a hit to FFO. As I see, that's supposed to grow mid-single yeah. digits there. And, and John, I'm, I'm still worried yeah. about that. Uh, why is that uh, five-year earnings per share growth a negative I did look at the balance sheet for you. They, they've only got $1.3 billion in cash on the balance sheet. Now they do have $14.2 billion in long-term debt. They do have real estate, but there's a slowdown. Something happens, as Jay said. Uh, they're gonna have major problems. How are they gonna make those payments on those mortgages? Well, I, I, yeah. I really believe, and again, this is an estimation but, here, Sure. but the reason, because their earnings went up 94% in one year. Mm-hmm. So I think that's from the sale of something. You're that right. didn't go to yeah. FFO. Okay. So yep. now all of a sudden their they earnings, yep. their earnings aren't going to be as good for the next five years because they're not going to have that sale that occurred this year. So yep. that would just be my estimation. But just confirm that I, I think that's a, a likely case because their FFO is is still continuing to grow, which is uh, for these REITs more important to me than the earnings because that that and I don't want to say earnings aren't important, but you know, they can be very heavily skewed, skewed by the sale right. of different properties. And, and John, I'll let you know, we were yeah. kind of looking for another REIT in our portfolio. We've got a couple, one we can't buy, it's overpriced now. So we've been kind of looking for another one. Uh, it's very hard to find one. I would love to say, yes, John, this is it. We're gonna buy this one. 
I, I just don't feel comfortable with this one. So as Chase said, uh, don't take five minutes, maybe take 10 or 15 minutes <laughs> to go a little yeah. bit deeper. Already? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, you know, there's, there is a lot of noise here with some of the non-core sales, and they just uh, they just went out and got some bonds as well. Um, and, uh, and I think they're mixed up with a couple of things. One, to your point, the REITs are just getting hammered, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. so I think it's a good buying opportunity for them. And I think this gets lumped in with, like the NASDAQ, the growth stocks, right? And I, so I think it's getting a double whammy. Plus, it does have international presence. And with a strong dollar, I think, you know, I don't know if they're hedged at all in, in conversion. So I have a feeling, too, that that's another headwind for them that I think will be going away. Um, and Chase, to your point, they do have, it's mostly Europe and the Americas is where they are. They're in a couple of, you know, they're in Australia and a couple of Japan, Korea, you know, friendly nations. But for the most part, all their centers are, are you know in good you know strong economies yeah and and say and and, and geopolitically safe yep. economies so. it, it's an interesting concept i like the concept as a kind of like what i call a big dumb business that there's not much going on having the data centers but it's just i just don't feel comfortable with some things that i'm <laughs> i'm seeing here. i i disagree with brent here i think there's a i think there's some good opportunity um not quite yet as i said i, I the big thing is that yeah. liquidity that i would want to understand yeah. but outside the liquidity uh, and again, the FFO multiple not being quite where I want it. I, I think there's some good opportunity here. Not at this price, though. Not yeah, when it broke a hundred, that's uh, it, yeah. I got my interest when it broke a hundred, and I was then that's got me looking at it. Yeah. Okay, John, mark your calendar. Give us a call back hey, in thanks. a year. We'll see where we stand. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got it. <laughs> thanks for calling, John. All right. Bye. Thank thanks. All right. That opens up the phone line. Eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. That's 833-288-0973. All phone lines are open. Let's talk to uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner. Harrison, good morning. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, guys. I'm doing well. How are you doing? Good, good. I know you got a great topic today, so I'm going to let you share what the topic is, and we'll talk about it. So I wanted to remind everybody to go take a look at your 401k. Um, People seem to uh, kind of set and forget their 401k contributions and what it's allocated as, but it can grow to be a really big piece of money in retirement if you let it. Um, so people think of pensions as being great. You know, maybe you'll get 50% of your income for life or 80% of your income for life. But if you invest 5% of your pay and then get a 4% match to your 401k, and you do that from 25 to 65 with an 8% rate of return and then withdraw 5% of that in retirement, your retirement income would be 115% of your pay, which is a lot more than any pension. So they, they can be, um, you know, large income sources and large accounts if you let them. But make sure you're getting the match on there. But even if there is no match, you still get a tax deduction. You still get tax deferred growth by contributing to that 401k. Um, the match is nice, but it's more of a perk and not the primary reason to contribute. I see too many people that are like, oh, you know, my stupid employer doesn't give me a match, so I'm just not going to put anything in there. And it's like, it's your money. You know, you're the one that gets the tax benefits and the tax growth. So, you know, make sure you're contributing to that. Um, as far as the investment goes, the default investment is usually a target date fund, which can have higher fees and, and usually too much bonds in there, um, especially if you're younger. So, um, 
you know, you want to make sure that if you change employers or you start a new 401k or whatever it is, you go in there and look at that investment allocation and choose what is really more appropriate. Usually there's some core funds available. Uh, maybe you can find a large cap value fund or something like that that's going to be a lot better in the long term than just a, a regular target day fund. Um, another thing I see is people might have too much cash or stable value set to their 401k. Like, I talked to people, and, and when COVID was going on, they, you know, went to cash and then never really changed it. And it's like, you need to be looking at that account, especially as you're adding to it, because it's going to need to be reallocated on an ongoing basis. Really, you should look at it every quarter or so. And then when we have times like this, when there's a lot of volatility in the market, it's usually good to look at your 401k and see if there's any um, reallocation that needs to be done. And, um, you know, going forward, we're going into the fourth quarter here. So there's still time to increase contributions before the end of the year. Um, the maximum this year is 20500 or if you're older, 50, older than 50, um, it's 27000 So if you have some extra cash, consider increasing that contribution from your paycheck before the end of the year, um, especially if you've had substantial tax events this year, like the sale of a property or maybe you got a large bonus or, or something that you weren't expecting that's going to push you into a higher tax bracket. Well, try increasing those contributions to help help offset that a little bit. Or... Another thing you can look at that doing is some 401ks allow Roth contributions. So, you know, maybe it makes sense to go from the Roth to the pre-tax or from the pre-tax to the Roth for, for whatever reason. So you can adjust that as well. So it's always a good idea to look at your 401k, make sure that you're contributing the right amount, make sure it's allocated correctly. Um, uh, you know, good to look at it on an ongoing basis. And Harrison, quick question there. So people, I know if you have a 401k, and you're like, oh, I'm not going to contribute to the 401k since they're not matching. I'm going to contribute to an IRA. But is it if you have access to a retirement plan that you lose the deductibility in an IRA? Or is it if you contribute to Correct. a 401k? Correct. You have to have access to it for one day of the year. So um, even if you retire at the beginning of the year, but you had access to it, then that will puts you into that income limitation where if your income is too high, you cannot make um, deductible contributions to an IRA. Where a 401k, there is no income limit. Anything that you put in there pre-tax will be tax deductible to you. And I guess there are some benefits with the IRA. You got a lot more flexibility in the investments and so forth. But if you have access to the 401k, you don't can't do, do the IRA. No. Yeah, yeah. But, but I'm just saying, but, 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 but you can, you're, yeah. you're, you're right. But on the other hand too, just like what is the break point on the salary because uh, what's an IRA limit now? Six thousand, I guess it is. Yeah. yeah. So what is the break point on mm -hmm. that to where you can put seven thousand in your four hundred and one k, but only six in the IRA? You just lost a thousand dollar deduction. Yeah. So. Yeah. And it's yeah. I think it is so important because I think some people are like, oh, I'm just not going to do the four hundred and one k because it my employer sucks. And it's like that's just a terrible attitude. Right. And and again, you're the one losing. Your employer sucks. Your employer, they did maybe pick the four hundred and one k plan but still it's not the 401k plan of the employer that you're actually doing it and you're the one losing out on doing that and the other thing too harrison i was thinking about too you talk about the catch-up provision the fifth age 50. you know i know it's hard right now but gosh you got 10 15 years this is the time to be playing catch-up because things are on sale now doesn't mean they'll turn around tomorrow but 10, 15 years from now, gosh, you'll be so happy that you really maxed out what you said it was 27,000 i think you said was the number 27 this year, and then that's going to be going up to, I believe, it should be going up to $30,000 um, starting in January. Yeah, yeah. You want to find that money, put that in there, because if you're behind on your retirement, 
what a great time to catch up. But you do have to do the right investments. You can't just do something crazy like Bitcoin. So. Well, you can't really right. do Bitcoin in 401ks, <laughs> luckily, but, you know, uh, or cash. Okay. You know? All right. The meme stocks. Yeah. Do, can't okay. do the meme stocks in there. All right. Don't don't try to play catch up that way. Or a target date fund. Yeah, target date fund, yeah. yeah. So. I, and I'm saying don't do a target date fund. Don't do a target don't, date fund. Right. Yeah. And right. I, I think a lot of people, too, you hear this advice, oh, just, you know, don't look at your 401k during these bad times. No. As you said, Harrison, this is a great time to look at it. You have to understand it's probably going to be down. <laughs> We need to understand why it's down because I think so many people have done these target date funds for the last few years because it was easy. You set it right. and forget it. And all of a sudden it's like, oh my gosh, I thought this was supposed to be safe. I thought I was supposed to have 40% in bonds because I'm retiring in a couple right. of years. Right. Oh, bonds go down when interest rates go up? Why didn't anybody tell me? <laughs> yeah. This yeah, is a great exactly time right. so, yeah. to get out of those target date yeah. funds. Yeah. And, and, yeah. And, and, yeah, I mean, go ahead, Everson. Bonds definitely could be down 20% year to date and that, that hasn't really happened. So, you know, those target date funds on the equity side, it's usually more heavy towards growth, which has been crushed this year. And then on the bond side, you know, it's corporate bonds, which have also been crushed. So, you know, you might think you're safe, but uh, you know, you, you could definitely be down 25% year to date in, in a target date fund right now. And it's very important, as you said, not to look at your 401k. Well, you should. No, you may not have to because you should have an advisor like a good financial planner like Harrison or we do it for our clients. So we know what's going on behind the scenes, but the average person, if you don't know what you're doing, make sure you hire somebody that knows what they're doing to look at that 401k because you don't want to be in the wrong place in that 401k or your investments, any of the investments, you have to have a qualified eye to look at that. But yeah, a lot of people, they should not be looking at themselves, have the professional look at it. So Harrison, thank you very much. Uh, you have the great, uh, great rest of the Saturday and we'll see you on Monday morning. Thanks, guys. We'll see you Monday. Okay. Bye-bye. Again, as uh, Harrison Johnson, our financial planner, uh, he's a CFP. Uh, he's on a salary. He does not sell any product at all. If you want an unbiased opinion on your financial plan, or maybe you don't have a financial plan, uh, you get a free consultation with Harrison. You can give him a call at the office at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. Or you can go to the website, smartinvesting2000.com. Again, that's smartinvesting2000.com, and you can sign up right there or contact them that way. So uh, very important uh, to, to look at those uh, investments there. Uh, you know, one thing I did want to talk about, uh, Apple uh, this past week, uh, it dropped plans to increase production of the iPhone 14, saying demand was not as strong as anticipated. And the stock fell while the market was up on on a particular day. Of course, the market was down yesterday, but Apple was down again yesterday quite, quite large. And, and the big problem could be is if sales and earnings are worse than expected. Again, people are, this 14 was supposed to be, you know, a big cycle mm -hmm. for them. And you're supposed to see growth in sales. All of a sudden, what if sales don't grow? I, I mean, that's, and not even what if they don't grow? What if they don't grow as fast as people anticipated? We talked about this with Costco. You can't trade at, I think, Apple sell around 25-ish times right. earnings and not have growth. you you got to keep growing to justify those higher multiples. And, and Chase, I pulled up some numbers for Apple because I want to kind of look at that, and maybe you can do a little bit as well. But their one-year earnings per share growth, 7.8% versus 99 .9 for the industry. So you're paying this high multiple for them but yet you're not getting the earnings per share growth that the industry is getting. Now over the five years, yeah, 
their growth was 22.3%, but they're not going to return to that anytime soon. Uh, you are paying 22.8 times earning above the industry of 21.9. Price of sales, 5.9 versus 3.9. Price to book value, 38 versus 230. So that's a positive. Price to cash flow, 19.2 versus 19. That's about the same. Their peg ratio, 2.3 versus 20.9. So that is that is still a very positive number to look at. Their dividend is laughable, 0.7% with a 14.6% payout ratio. You got all this cash, why aren't you paying in a dividend? Uh, we also looked at the balance sheet, not as good as I thought it used to be. Um, the, the current ratio, 0.9, same as industry. Debt to equity, 2.1. I know they do buy a lot of stock, which, which does bring down their cash but uh, I was disappointed on that. Their net profit margin is still very good, 25.7 versus 17.5. Return equity, 171%, uh, industry 165, because I believe Apple accounts for a lot of that industry, but their equity is so low uh, versus their return on that equity. Yeah, and I was just kind of looking at some of the items here with uh, going forward. Uh, their earnings are estimated to be $6.46 in 2023. Uh, we will be shifting actually out to September 2024 after this report uh, because they report on a fiscal basis. So very curious to see as that could have a big impact on obviously the target sell price for us and the numbers. But I mean, I look out to 2023, they're still trading about 21 times future earnings. 2024, still over 20 times future earnings. And earnings per share only estimated to grow 5% in each year. Yeah. And that incorporates the fact that they buy back a ton of stock. So how much is their net income actually growing? How much is their sales actually growing? If you're only growing earnings per share at 5%, that could be a, a big problem. And again, 20 times earnings for 5%, I can find a freaking food company <laughs> for 5% growth on an annual basis and not pay 20 times future earnings. Right. right. I, I, and the nice thing is food companies, don't still have the heavy reliance on the iPhone, which still makes up about, I think it's about 50% of their sales. Right. And, and and the other thing I looked at too was their cash is declining. Uh, back in 2019, they had in cash, which is your short-term investments in cash and cash equivalents of 107 billion. That's now 48 billion uh, in cash there. Their other cash is probably down here. I believe it, I believe they put it, their longer-term investments, I think it's in other non-current assets as I believe where that other cash is, which shows 183 billion. Now that is up from 2019, but that means it's longer term, which means there's more volatility there. So it's not really cash, which that could be declining, not increasing if it's not invested well. And the thing I think is interesting, people are like, yeah, but their services are going at 20% a year. Great. Their services isn't in a separate business. Right. You know, I I look longer term, maybe the services will be more and more of that business, but that means that 20% growth is going to get smaller and smaller year over year. Yeah. That's going to be an important reason why you have to look at the whole business for Apple. Right. And I, I'm, maybe it's not the iPhone 14, maybe it's the iPhone 15, but I, I'm still a believer that it, one of these iPhones is going to miss and you're going to be stuck holding the bag for a, a company that you overpaid for. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, great company, great services, but you got to realize what you're paying for that. And what you used to pay for was the big growth. Just don't see that coming along. So you, you can see, and again, I've said that, you can see Apple fall below 100. Oh, oh, that would never happen. Yeah, 
uh, never say never. So yep. um, be careful. One one caveat there is that a lot of people just love the name, and they may hold it too long. So mm-hmm. we'll see. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's go down to Chula Vista and speak with Michael. Michael, you're on the Smart Investing Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Good morning. I'm calling about Tyson Foods, symbol TSN. Okay, and do you hold that or look at buying it? Um, I have a small position. I'm looking to, to add a little bit to it. Now, I had a question before you go over the numbers. Sure. Um, just in general, you, at the top of the show, you'd mentioned the strong dollar. Uh, I'm just wondering how that affects your analysis of a company, if it does at all. Does that factor into to the numbers you look at? And how, how might one look, how that affects a company and, and would it affect something like the Tyson Foods? Well, I, I mean, we always do look at that and we buy, well, we buy pretty much 100% American companies because we don't like to buy foreign companies because of that. So the strong dollar for us, as far as what we're buying, doesn't really come into play because if it was a foreign company and we're, let's say a food company, we know we'd be in trouble because a strong dollar would make those foreign money come back over here worth less. So it, it, it does cause problems, but since we buy only American companies, the strong dollar, we don't look at for our companies as much as we do with uh, the economy. Yeah, and it, it still impacts our companies because Tyson does sell all over the, the world. And uh, one of the things that they're trying to build up is their international sales. And one thing that I, I would say in periods like this is even though we're buying American companies, you want to understand their distribution of sales. I mean, we had a, a high-end kind of retail company years ago, and they had a lot of sales in Europe. So we knew that was a potential risk was if the currency fluctuated the wrong way in Europe, it was going to ding their earnings. Now, the the benefit is the analysts that we look at here when we're looking at the numbers, they know about the strong dollar as well. So that's going to, to put a peg on their sales, their earnings. So it is going to be factored into the analysis going forward. And it is something that we do look at, again, as a distribution of the sales across the world because we're not just going to turn a blind eye to it. But with that being said, if their sales and earnings are getting hurt by currency fluctuations, well, I'm still paying 10 times future earnings, yeah. even with potentially dinged earnings overseas. Yeah, I guess I was saying it, it does all come into the, the end play there. But again, they are paying the higher dollar for their manufacturing or actually for the, the product. So, yeah. And, and we did have a company uh, a couple of years ago. It was a really interesting company. Was, I'm give it away. It was a little glass company is what they right. did. And they would actually have a lot of business across the world, and they had a lot of currency hedges. I and say they, the hedges, yeah. What they would do is they said, yeah, it, it makes our earnings more volatile, but it, it gives us a more precise estimation on future cash flows because we know with the currency hedges what we're essentially going to be locking in place in that. So that's always something, too, that you can look at with your businesses if they do have high overseas exposure. Well, what are they doing to hedge against that? Yeah, yeah. and I do remember that made the earnings very volatile. Like, oh, the stock would go down because of that. So, but again, long term, it made sense. So let's go back to Tyson Foods. Uh, They're in the industry of farm products. Uh, There's about 1.7% float on it. So no one expects the stock to go down. 87% uh, institutional ownership. They have a PE ratio of, wow, 5.9 versus 9.7 for the industry. Price to sales, 0.5 versus 0.4. Price of tangible book value, 9.5 versus 9.2. And the price of cash flow, 7.8 versus 21.8. A very good peg ratio of only 1.1. That's well below the industry at 4.4. Now, their earnings have grown by 18.5% over the past, uh, I'm sorry, no, uh, 33.5% over the past year. 
versus 31.9%. I was going to be the five-year earnings per share growth at uh, 18.5. Sales over last year up 11.3, below the industry at 38.4. Their five-year estimated growth is a 7.5, about the same as the industry at 9.2. They pay a decent dividend of 2.8%, only use 15.9% of their earnings to pay that out. I think that's about the same payout ratio as Apple had, paying their 0.7%. Uh, we do see that uh, they have uh, a current ratio of two, same as the industry. Debt to equity, very good, 0.4 versus 0 0.7. And a net profit margin, 7.8 versus 4.6. Return equity is 21, uh, well above the industry at 15.8. Uh, current price here for Tyson, $65.93. 52-week highs, $100.72 in the 52-week low. $65.85. Year-to-date, down 23.1%. About right in line with the S&P, down about 24% there. But going forward for Tyson, I go out to September 2023, I see estimated earnings per share is $7.64. Gives us a target sell price of $126.82. I mean, that's a close to 100% gain there yeah. uh, based off the current price. I, I think it's a great opportunity. I don't think people are going to be eating any less protein here over the coming years. Uh, and uh, one thing I will say, too, is their balance sheet. They've done a great job cleaning up that balance sheet. Mm -hmm. Could be a good sign for future shareholder returns because once that company pays off debt and they have that cleaned up balance sheet, is now they have excess capital. That could go back into perhaps higher dividends, higher stock buybacks. So that's something I'm keeping an eye on is now that they clean clean that up, I, I think it, it could become even more shareholder friendly. And, and Michael, keep in mind that this is a food company. They benefit from inflation, but it's like a lag is that prices go up, their earnings don't do as well because they can't get it there, but they will benefit from the higher prices down the road because one thing that happens is that prices will go up, they'll come back down, but the profit margins seem to stay a little bit better <laughs> than before inflation, but it, it takes probably 12 to 24 months for that to happen. And, and again, the meantime, you're waiting, you get that, uh, what I say, 2.8% dividend. So it's a good, safe company. Um, again, it's, it's, it's on sale right now doesn't mean it'll be off sale tomorrow, but I, I think it's a great company to hold in the portfolio long-term. Okay, I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I really like the company. Just, uh, I mean, I, I've got the mindset, I'm, it's just human nature. I'm, I'm thinking, hey, maybe I can get it at 60, maybe I can get it at 55, but it sounds like um, your philosophy, if you like the company and it's a good price, um, go ahead and go for it. It'll work out in the long run. Yeah, yeah, because you might pay 65 for it and then next, next week, shoot, now it's at 60. But look at where you'll be 18, 24 months down the road. And if you collect that 2.8% dividend and then, you know, two years down the road, it's at, uh, you know, 90, 95. Like, wow, that's a 50% return pretty much. And, and I got the dividend. So. Yeah, because then you get kind of stuck into that, that whole concept we were talking about at the beginning is what if it goes up to 70? Okay, I'll wait till it goes to 65. Now it's at 80. You know? <laughs> yeah. That's why it comes back down to the business. And as Brent said, you got to understand it could go lower, but where's it going to be two to three years, not two to three weeks? Yeah. All right. All right. I appreciate your help. You guys have a great weekend. You too, Michael. Thanks for calling. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. I think we got, uh, what, three minutes left here. I, I, okay. Let's go. To, we can take a little bit of time. Let's go down to San Diego and uh, speak with Jim. Jim, you're on the Smart Rest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you out? Hi, Brent and Chase. I have kind of maybe a little bit uh, unusual one, uh, DVAX. I was wondering what you see in the numbers there. Uh, Dynavax. Dynavax Technologies. Yeah, let's uh, yes. take a, a quick look at that. Do you hold that or looking to buy it there? No, just looking at it, yeah. All right, well, well let's take a look at uh, Dynavax uh, Technology Corporation, symbol DVAX. They're in the drug manufacturing special 
specialty and generic industry. That's a <laughs> quite the industry. Wow, float is 15.7%. That's a pretty heavy float, which could make the stock move up dramatically, or it could mean that the stock is headed downward. 92.8% institutional owned, 6.5% of PE ratio versus the industry of not material. Price of sales, 2.3 versus 1.9. Price to book value, 3.1 versus 1.9. <coughs> Uh, price of cash flow is 10.3 versus 16.6. Uh, no earnings per share growth showing up, so I guess they have no earnings. Their sales are up 155%, so it sounds like a major growth company hoping something major is coming out with some drugs here. Uh, they do not pay a dividend. Uh, the balance sheet, good current ratio, 2.8 versus 2.5. Debt to equity looks okay at 0. 0.6 versus 0. 0.7. Net profit margin shows a 34.6% versus a negative three, so I'm not sure why we're not seeing any earnings growth there. Maybe they didn't have earnings growth a year, year earlier. Uh, we do see return on equity 54% versus nine. Um, kind of confusing. What do you got, Jace? Yeah, current price here for DVAX and Dynavax Technologies, $10.44, 52-week high, wow, $21.39, and the low, $7.26. See, year-to-date, it's down about 25.8%. Uh, it's a decent-sized company with a market cap of about $1.3 billion. But this is where it gets really strange. Uh, December 2022, estimated earnings per share, $1.69. It looks like year-over-year -year growth of 196%, 4 PE based off the end of this year. 6.18 great December 2023 negative zero dollars and four cents so hmm. estimated to lose money what the heck is going on here that makes absolutely no sense so uh that's very strange and with that number I'd definitely say stay away and also I do see uh going back to the analysts here going back 90 days the estimate was for 2023 70 uh 69 cents 60 days ago 70 cents now uh as you said uh, negative so not uh, okay. not the right direction. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah, yeah. So, All right. All righty. Thank you. All right, Jim. Thanks for calling. And there is a closing bell while we time that just right. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only. It should not be used on investment advice. If you'd like to in more detail, your investment needs, have other investment questions, feel free to call myself Brent Wilsey or Chase Wilsey at 858-546-4306. That's 858-546. 546-4306 or visit our website smartinvesting2000.com that's smartinvesting2000.com some great information there and for more daily educational information go to our Facebook page Smart Investing with Brent Chase we'll see have a great day uh, we'll talk to you more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show to think I did all that and may I say